So hello and welcome to the latest episode of the new PL Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm Paul and I host the new PL podcast, and I'm grateful you've taken the time. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision, focus, strength, and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we kick off the discussion today, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or another streaming service, and you like what you hear, please take a moment to review us. It all helps our ratings and our rankings. We've had some outstanding guests so far in 2020, and this week is no exception. I'm very pleased to be welcoming Managing Director of Beat and Proceed, World Economic Forum Global Shaper, and fellow New Zealander Bridget Williams to the show. After a career practicing law, a more creative and sustainable lifestyle started to call out to Bridget. Just a year ago, Bridget hung up her high court gown and put on a necklace, and her company, Bead and Proceed, was born. Her love for creativity in the arts then led Bridget to take up a position on the Christchurch Arts Festival Board, and she's also one of the youngest ever elected Christchurch City Council Community Board members. Bridget is also a respected World Economic Forum Global Shaper, part of an international network of young people driving dialogue, action and change in the world. All of these opportunities have taught Bridget the impact, power and real positive difference young people can make on their communities in the wider world and has helped drive her passion for active citizenship, and especially the important role business and business leaders need to play in helping industries and communities create positive change. So kia ora, Bridget. A very warm welcome to the new PL. Kia ora, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. What, yeah. a, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Very much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited. You, you've got quite an intriguing, innovative and creative business. So I think perhaps if you can start the podcast by providing a brief overview of how you came to establish Beat and Proceed and also a bit around your work with the, the World Economic Forum Global Shapers Initiative. Yeah, of course. Um, so I should probably start with explaining what Beat and Proceed is. So um, it's a social enterprise that exists to educate people about the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals through creativity. And the idea is really simple. We bring people together to each make a five beaded necklace, key ring or bracelet that represents the top five SDGs, that's the acronym for Sustainable Development Goals, that the individual wants to work towards and achieve. Um, and how I got into Beat and Proceed is quite a funny story, but basically I was a solicitor for about for almost three years. And I thought that was always what I wanted to be. Um, my dad, you know, he, he went out to do law, um, but didn't get a law job. And I was always inspired by legally blonde and, you know, like suits and that sort of thing. Yeah. It was just, uh, I thought that was what I wanted to be. But it was a very confusing time because I had worked really hard to be a solicitor. I summer clerked all through uni and I got a fantastic uh, grad job, but I was deeply unhappy, mm-hmm. so unhappy. And you hear this a lot, you know, this isn't a unique story where, you know, people go into law and um, it's just not what they expected. But 
I kind of knew that it was just more I wanted to make value because I felt like I wasn't adding any value to the team or to the firm or to my client and most importantly to myself. So one day I decided to just make something out of nothing, create value out of nothing. So I made a necklace and Mm -hmm. I just got lost in the creativity of it. It was just this beautiful experience where I was painting these beads and um, I was thinking up all of these like different theories and philosophies and these ideas were coming. And then I wore the necklace the next day and I got so many people complimenting me on it. They loved it. And when they found out that I made it, they said, oh, could you make me one? But I really wanted to share that experience with other people. Yes. So um, that's when I thought, well, what if I bring people together to make their own necklaces? But obviously they had to bring something positive something that has impacted them or preceded them to be a better version of themselves, like a podcast or a piece of advice or a book. Yeah, yeah. You see how bead and proceed the name was born and, and I liked it, but I thought there must be more to the meaning of the necklace. What does the world need? And that's when I discovered the SDGs and this was back in 2016. So they had recently been adopted. Um, and I sat on the idea for like two years thinking it was the silliest thing. <laughs> and yeah. I just thought, this is like people won't get this but um anyway long story short the united nations found out about it somehow and i was approached by the united nations christchurch branch and they said you have to pitch for funding we've got funding we'd love to support this wow um yeah and so then i and everything just fell into place like i've managed to find a, a you know all of our suppliers that put the kits together are all SDG aligned. Our paint is eco-friendly and everything was just falling into place, which told me that this was something that I was meant to do. And then in February last year, so we're coming up to our first birthday, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've been working full time on Beat and Proceed now for um, over 10 months. And it's just been the most amazing journey. Fantastic. Yeah. It sounds like a real case of a sort of build it and they will come. You believed in the, believed in the concept and then you know they found you didn't they the UN found you and uh, pulled it together you focused on what you believed in and what you were passionate about I guess yeah definitely but I also have so many people to thank for it so it really was my friend um, Anita so she met met someone I think who was from the United Nations and she just right. you know obviously heard about the SDGs and the UN and she told them about this idea but this little idea I had so it hasn't just been you know my idea people yes. have flocked definitely been having these early adopters of support which i'm so grateful for fantastic i mean when when i did the the research for this podcast and i read through your website and it reminded me a little of the phrase the power of one because i was thinking that the change will and needs to come from an awakening and a commitment i guess inside each one of us it needs to be individually and collectively conscious and cultural choice so my worry is you know, if we think about one of the sustainability goals in terms of, you know, climate change and so on, do we do we have the time to wait while we all individually come to the realisation? Or will it be too late by the time we get from the power of one to the power whose time has come, so to speak? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Paul. I think um, timing is especially an interesting one because if we put pressure on ourselves and focus on the issue at hand, mm-hmm run the risk of not addressing the negative externalities or implications, you know, yeah. if, if we simply rush it and we just focus on like time is of the essence. And a really good example of where, you know, of that is um, a direct 
linked to the SDGs, which were the predecessors, the MDGs, that's the Millennium Development Goals. And right. similar to the MDGs, it was a 15-year um, commitment, but it focused on reducing extreme poverty. And they made some great feats since 1990, like the number of people who live in extreme poverty has declined by more than half. Mm-hmm. Um, a portion of undernourished people in developing regions has fallen by half. It's the most successful anti-poverty movement in history. But right. some criticize and they say that it was achieved at the expense of our environment. Mm-hmm. So they were so focused on um, you know, the this, this sense of time and just the focus around poverty that they actually failed to see how, like the risk and the issues that it affected um, the environment. So, but in saying that, we also don't want to, um, you know, there is still a timing issue because mm. we're in 2020, which has been coined the decade of actions. So the time is now, but there's a balance, right? Like we don't want to rush it. Um, we need to still make action. And I think that comes down to that saying, you know, some progress is better than no progress, reach for the moon, land among the stars. And yes, that's yeah. why the SDGs are also known as the moonshot goals because right. doing anything is better than not doing anything. Else it's just a self-fulfilled prophecy, right? Yeah, agreed. Um, last week I interviewed Dr. John Blakey um, for the podcast and he talked about a qualified percentage point or, um, or a percentage for tipping points. So for... Things to shift dramatically, it requires roughly a 17% of the audience to to make that change. As climate change affects the globe, um, or, or all of those sustainable development goals affect the globe, we we effectively need 17% of the world's population to to shift or to move in order to have that that tipping point or that fundamental shift. Do you believe that's possible? <laughs> Well, Paul, I'm an optimist, and that's probably the reason why I struggle with <laughs> But, um, I mean, I think anything's possible. When yeah. I think you really do have the ability to, you know, to make things happen. And um, we've seen that mobilisation through history, you know, and one that comes to mind, although it's not very positive, is the mobilisation effort of World War II. Yes. You know, not um, were, you know, not only just troops, but also there was a collective camaraderie of families and school kids who all did their part. Um, and the other example that I think comes to mind when, um, you know, when necessity is the mother of invention and, you know, can we make this fundamental shift when, yeah. you know, when it's now, it needs to happen now. There's a, um, I was lucky enough to attend climate, the climate reality training with Vice President Al Gore last year. And wow. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that go to it, but um, I felt very privileged because I actually got to meet him through um, Global Shapers. So, it was, right. yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just get starstruck with these people, right? Like, it's a huge journey in a year, isn't it? That's amazing, really. Yeah. But, um, but one of the examples we used is the great horse manure crisis of 1894. So in this example, like large cities all around the world were literally drowning in horse manure. And yeah. the time even predicted that in 50 years, every street in London would be buried in five feet of manure. So mm-hmm. the problem was so bad that they even had the first international urban planning conference in New York. And right. I said, like, necessity is the mother of invention, and that's how the car was introduced. So I do think you can actually rally people together for a collective vision, 
to make a shift. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the SDGs. They do that. They have that goal-based power. And goals have always, you know, played an important part in, make, in I don't, you know, in humankind's milestones. Yes, yeah. Like the base race, you know, like JFK, he really believed in, in goal setting. And so, yeah, I think, I think we can make the shift, but I don't think we should leave it up to other people. I think we all need to do our part. Take their responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it would be remiss of me not to say that if you're working with people to identify their five favorite sustainable development goals, I'd be very interested to know what the beads are that represent your five sustainable development yeah. goals. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, look, I'm going to be honest. My first five are not the same five that I have now, but that's right. probably because I've, you know, what we say is when you choose your five, those are the five that you should really commit to. But I think for me, this has been a journey. So, um, yeah, but I'll explain why I changed. Um, mm -hmm. I'll get to that. But, but my five, uh, reduced inequality, so that's SDG 10. Um, responsible consumption and production, that's SDG 12. Sustainable cities and communities, that's 11. And peace, justice and strong institutions is 16. And the last one is 17, partnerships for the goals. Um, so I guess why I've chosen them is, so 10, reduced inequalities, you know, that's, we have to work on ourselves to remove how unfairly we discriminate against each other. Otherwise, we're just doomed to create unequal solutions to solve the goals. And I see this one as a really deep-rooted issue in humanity because if we achieve this goal, it would have a positive effect on many others. Um, with 16, you know, that's about um, the political structures and the glue in place to ensure the positive and sustainable change lasts. I have a deep connection to SCG 11 and 12, as I've always cared really deeply about my community and city. So mm. I'm, an, I'm an elected community board member, so, you know, that's where I see, you know, my direct contribution with that one. And I always strive to live as sustainably as possible. Um, and I think, you know, like us as consumers, we have to put that on us because, you know, the choices we, what we purchase is a choice to how yes. we want to live the world, right? Yeah. And then is obviously like that's my jam because it's about raising awareness of the goals and connecting and collaborating and partnering and making that lasting impact and obviously beat and proceed is core to SDG 17. Yeah I mean to go back to your first one you know in terms of inequality we we have such huge inequality and disparity of wealth uh, wealth in the world today and I accept absolutely that you know some of the millennium goals have pulled millions of people out of uh, absolute poverty, but we still have a very, a very unequal society. And, you know, there are some great examples of philanthropic work. You know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is a, is a great example of someone who's very wealthy using their, their, their money for good. But mm. we also see enormous wealth in the hands of, of a very few. How do you achieve those SDGs, the, the Sustainable Development Goals, without a greater balance of wealth um, spread across communities first? Well, I think, I actually think that's key to the SDGs. So um, the SDGs, they are about, you know, wealth being spread. And what I mean by that is it's about the developed nations taking responsibility to also help developing nations. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what actually underpins SDG 17. It's about partnerships for the developed to partner with the developing. And that's, 
that's very different from, you know, like Western society coming in to, you know, swoop in and be the saviour. It's actually just about recognising that there is, um, you know, that each state has got um, different strengths, you know, to, to contribute to help achieve the SDGs and to, you know, use its strengths to help others. But no yeah. state is perfect. You know, we all have work-ons. And I think, um, yeah, because currently no state is on track to achieving the SDGs by 2030. Yeah. And in New Zealand, we're even going backwards on three. So we're going backwards on climate action, reduced inequalities in life on land. So I think it's, I think the SDGs is a great mirror to actually see how are we going with all of these goals? Because this isn't, these goals aren't just for developing countries. They are on all states. They're the global goals that everyone's yes. responsible. But I think a big part is that just, you know, is, is spreading that resource around. So the, the word you used in your answer there was developed nations partnering with developing nations. And I, I've, I've always felt that one of the inherent challenges in, in sort of global sustainable development is, in my mind, that it effectively sits on a, on a foundation of developed nations who have been the main benefactors of unsustainable development, I guess, over the last 200 years, telling or... In, in, the word you've just used, partnering, you know, telling developing nations that they now need to be more sustainable and how to be more sustainable, which translated into real terms sometimes means effectively, as you alluded to in one of your earlier answers, slowing growth, investment, and you know, development and so on. So do you think this is an inherent contradiction at the heart of this proposition? And does it, is this where some of the inertia or the going backwards is, is created? By going backwards, are you meaning, are you meaning like going backwards to, you know, going back to our roots, to how we used to do things more sustainably? No, you mentioned that on, on three of the sustainable development goals, we, we're slipping rather than moving forward. And I just, I just wonder whether this inherent contradiction at the heart of it may be maybe where some of the inertia comes from when we try to fully embrace and activate the UN SDGs. Oh, my gosh. What a... <laughs> Jeez, uh, this is that's a really interesting question. I think, oh, man, um, hmm, how do I answer this? Uh, well, I mean, I think with, I think partnerships is the key thing, right? It's yes. not about developing nations. Sorry, it's not about developed nation nations teaching developing nations because it's also about developing nations teaching developed nations because mm -hmm. you look at how some states you know they are actually really sustainable in nature you know they do things sustainably but they might not have the wealth to have access to um you know to have direct access to um you know to clinics or to doctors yes. right yeah. so yeah. i mean does that kind of answer your question like, i'm not necessarily sure if there's a, actually a contradiction i think because we i think the sdgs recognizes that when it comes to achieving the SDGs, it's not um, it's not one saving the other. It's actually us all working together yes. and learning from each other. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that you know prompts the the the, the phrase that, that I'm quite uh, fond of, and I think it's attributed to Einstein. You know, we can't solve the problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. And I'm I'm thinking, for example. Um, to give a nod to your point just then, you know, the, the Seychelles, the Atoll Islands and the, um, and the Indian Ocean, 
they're obviously directly and immediately affected by climate change. And a few years back, they pioneered a, a debt for nature swap program where, um, and it's had its teething problems, but it, it's effectively where some of the debt is relieved um, on the Seychelles in return for their protecting um, certain areas of, um, of nature and of the islands and of the, of the sea. So I just wonder whether, you know, that's what we need to be doing in terms of addressing environmental change and these other sustainability or development goals. Um, do we need a different kind of thinking because some of the challenges are so great and they are so global and it requires countries, I guess, with, with conflicting interests to work together. We, in my mind, at least we can't get there by continuing to do the same thing. We have to think more creatively, which I guess is where bead and proceed comes in. It's giving a different way to, for people to focus on the sustainable development goals rather than just looking at it in a document. You're asking people to wear them. You've got a visual attachment to them. And, and what's your view on just sort of, we need to rethink the way we frame and, and consider moving forward on these challenges. Oh, hundred percent. That is, that's core to bed and proceed. I think creativity is definitely needed to solve these problems, to look at these things with a different lens than how we have um, dealt with them before. And yeah, it will require out-of-the-box solutions. And that's why Bed and Pursue is a creative activity, right? Because creativity sparks creativity. That was the, I guess, the epiphany that I got when I was yeah. painting my beads because we want people to have, you know, I know this sounds a bit corny, but it's so true. We want people to have a safe space where they can... Where they, you know, where they feel like they, they can authentically discuss these big problems, yep. um, open about the ones that they care about, and while they're while they've got that valuable creative time, come up with some innovative solutions. Because in society today, we we put so much weight on technology, and look, technology totally has its place. I, you know, it's it's you know, it's got us where we are today. But we also need to value the mm the simple task of actually making and creating and craft. We used to do that all the time when we were kids. And then somewhere along the way, society told us, nope, that's child's play. Like, we don't do that anymore. We're adults. But I think that's actually what we also need to make time for as well because that's where we, you know, that's what we used to do all the time. And, um, yeah, so I definitely think creativity plays a massive part in this and that's why we make um, Beat and Proceed as such a practical thing as well. And obviously, you know, there's other benefits too. When you wear them, you, you know, you, you're reminded of your commitment to your chosen yes. side, but it also serves as a conversation starter, but it also anchors your learning, right? Because no one likes death by PowerPoint or, <laughs> you know, you know, people have different ways of learning. So we want to capture that with Beat and Proceed. So, I mean, you talked about obviously, you know, technology having no agency and um, technology can't aspire. It can certainly help us. And, and there have been some phenomenal te technological developments over the last two to three decades that are, that are helping all of those um, sustainability goals. And, you know, remote health clinics is a very good example in some of the more difficult to access uh, places of the world. I just wonder, through the course of your workshops, have there been epiphany moments for those you've been working with that you know they've perhaps have ideas that have been hatched in your workshop that have gone on to to launch as a result of them thinking more creatively about how they can uh, assist their local community or, or develop new te technological solutions to existing problems yeah that's um 
yes, so a lot a lot of ideas have sprung out of Bead and Proceed. Obviously, with so with Bead and Proceed, we have um, anyone can purchase a kit online and they can run their own workshop. So the results that come out of those workshops, I'm never entirely sure where they get to because mm-hmm. I'm not there. But um, you know, we always say, if, you know, if you've if you've got an idea, if something has happened, or yeah, you've had like an epiphany moment doing your own Bead and Proceed workshop, then tell us all about it. But yeah. um. Yeah. For our Beat and Proceed Epic workshop, so that's where I um, run like a three-hour fully facilitated um, workshop for corporates and businesses and organizations. One of the part of the workshop is actually while people painting, they have to come up with a SDG-aligned initiative to implement in the business. And, you know, so obviously people have come up with a whole range of different initiatives and projects. So, you know, they they range from... um, Simple things, from, but still effective, you know, doing like a warm clothes drive for, you know, the homeless or mm-hmm. implementing an SDG champion scheme in the workplace, um, you know, to even uh, creating like a client curated SDG education program specific to the SDGs that, that business does. Um, and some companies are even looking at like, you know, SDG legacy projects, like adopting a bay, right. um, you know, to help the ecosystem that, the, you know, the local ecosystems. Um, and then another really cute one is what you, cause I also work with schools because I see when, when, um, you can kind of see just people, you know, especially young kids seeing and understanding these important issues and they have the sense of achievement when they have their necklace. It's like, yeah. or, you know, their, or their bracelet or their key ring, they feel the sense of, I, I made that from scratch. Like what else can I do? Yes. And so they might, you know, with schools, they're like, well, it's, you know, let's write to the Prime Minister to ban all plastic. Like, <laughs> yeah. it kind of it opens their minds up to see that anything's possible. Um, and there's also been some other really cute theories and, like, philosophies that have come out of it. So I remember this one person said to me um, th- from a workshop, oh, so cute. Um, she's like, okay, the sea levels are rising, right? But has anyone considered that maybe they're rising because the fish are crying? <laughs> <laughs> like I know that, but that, that's just kind of where the conversation goes. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. Younger generation, but it gets them to think about these things, right? Absolutely. Even if the theory is a bit, you know, like off track, it's still a really, um, it's still opening their, yeah, their eyes and and getting them to care about things that are bigger than them, yeah. which is better to see tries to foster. Awareness is the first step to change, isn't it? You know, you have to be aware of the problem before you can start addressing it. I guess. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, um, I heard a fantastic interview on the radio a few months back where the environment was being discussed and the interviewee uh, said, you know, we all have effectively our own internal carbon offset calculator where we will do some things that we believe that benefit the environment, let's say recycling, but then in our minds we offset them against, let's say, embracing fast fashion. So in our head, while we've purchased several clothes, um, we've justified it by telling ourselves we've all, we always put the we always put the recycling out, so we're kind of carbon neutral. And and I thought there was a a really great singular mm-hmm. example of the challenges we face collectively as a society. So, you know, when you're dealing with businesses in your workshop, how do we how do you start the process of convincing a business for whatever sustainable uh, development goal it is that it's not just about offsetting or recycling or your CSR responsibilities to make them feel better, but actually we all have a social responsibility to do things the right way. Mm, Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's always a tough one, right? Because, you know, you, I feel like it's always hard to question someone's intent. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. what their intention is. Um, but, but you can always, I, I get a feeling when I'm working with businesses, whether they're wanting to authentically commit to the SDGs or if they're just doing this for greenwashing. Yeah. And a, a big tell is when the companies are like, oh, we don't really want to do the bead thing. Like, can you just, you know, like tell us about the SDGs? I think that's, that's always right. quite an interesting sign that they aren't prepared to get out of their comfort zone. Like if they're not even prepared to, you know, to, to um, get their hands a bit dirty and get out of their comfort zone to paint, how are they going to address these complex problems? Yes. Um, but I think, so, you know, that in itself is like a wee text. Um, <laughs> but I think with businesses, you know, it's really about authentically committing to the SDGs. And mm-hmm. um, a big part of that is about engaging all their staff to think about what SDGs do they care about on an individual level. Because you put the SDGs in front of everyone and I, you know, they, everyone connects to one SDG because really everyone cares about something. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think, and that's where I see Beat and Proceed being a really helpful tool because we are a, a resource to get all staff to think about what are their five SDGs that they care about. Um, and then the other part of our Beat and Proceed epics is we collate all of the information from the workshop and then we um, calculate what are the majority five SDGs. And the business can decide to you know, have those as their focus five overall goals. But it's a great opportunity for management to see, you know, how aligned uh, is their staff with the business values already. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I mean by that is if you're, if you're a business that is, you know, very much into agriculture, like do you have staff who have SDG 15, like life on land or SDG yeah. 13, climate action, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but obviously it's about empowering staff keeping it at a grassroots level, don't keep it up there with management and the sustainability team. Like, you know, we want, it's about getting the companies to be like, these SDGs, they are all, they're everyone's responsibility. And it's not about company policy, like it shouldn't be forced on people to do it just because the company policy say so, but because they have an emotional and moral connection to the SDGs. And to do that, they have to understand them and work out what ones are important to them. So do you see any generational trends um, with the five beads that are selected by your participants in the, in the workshops you, you run yourself? Do you, do you see, for example, to, to use a very, a very obvious example, everyone over 50 caring about life on land because that's something mm-hmm. that is immediate to them. Everyone under 30 caring about climate change because that will affect their future. You know, what are, the, are there any intergenerational trends? Oh, they, I mean... I think I wouldn't necessarily say that like they're clear cut, like, you know, the older generation care about this and the younger generation care about this um, because it's, it's all connected, right? Like um, I would say that there are three major SDGs that people tend to select. And yes, one is climate action. um, And the other is reduced inequalities and then gender equality. So those are the top three that always come out of Beat and Proceed as being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they're always, those are always the popular ones. But it's different, you know, it depends on, um, so I've recently run a workshop with um, a whole lot of students from China and they, um, one of their major ones was poverty, right? Like yes. it was just number one because they see that all the time. 
And in New Zealand, yes, we do have poverty, but it's not as, I guess it's just not as um, necessarily visual as it is in China. And then the other huge one that they have is clean water and sanitation. That's a massive one. So it was like, those are the two popular ones for them. But in New Zealand, we kind of take our clean water and sanitation for granted because yeah. we've always been able to, to drink our water. Um, but in saying that, we, you know, but it's interesting because some people might criticize and say, well, you know, China has, you know, why is an SDG 12 that's responsible consumption and production one of their top five? But it's like, well, actually, they don't have the luxury yet to have clean water. So it's necessary for them. It's always been part of their life to have bottled water. So it's a really, um, yeah, it goes back to the SDGs and choosing your five are a really interesting mirror on, um, on what people value from all backgrounds. So to sort of go back to one of the questions when we, we mentioned Einstein and the example of the Seychelles doing something, approaching these challenges differently, do you think today's business leaders need a different set of skills to take on the challenges around the SDGs? You know, are, are they, if you do, what are those skills and how do they need to get from where they are to to the skills they need to ensure that as leaders in the community, because business leaders are, um, that they're able to, to take on those challenges and succeed? Yeah, I think that's a good question, but I'm not necessarily sure it's about the bu- business leaders needing a different set of skills, but mm-hmm. certainly they need certain values, you know, and I think business leaders really need to value global citizenship, innovation, creativity, um, and also they, you know, emotional intelligence with the rise of artificial intelligence. You know, I always wonder like, will, if, you know, because if we've got AIs who can assist with that, you know, their intellect and they've got, you know, they can, they have machine learning, they can hold a lot more, data retain a lot more and read a lot more then I feel like emotional intelligence is going to be key because um yeah so it's also about you know and and leaders doing things not because it's a tick the box exercise but because it's the right thing to do constant like a good leader I think should constantly be questioning dogma and their approaches and Mm -hmm. not being afraid to be like like you know to check in with themselves and be like that was you know there was an unconscious bias that I just, you know, yeah, that I just, yeah. right? Like, and I think a, a good thing that um, you see it all the time in corporates, right, is when um, business leaders tend to be like cultural fit, you know, but is that just an excuse not to embrace diversity? So it's just, it's these sorts of things that I think business leaders need to check in with themselves. But I've already seen like a massive shift, you know, we've seen it with like diversity training is happening mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, and, and just I, I do think change is yeah is definitely happening. You mentioned just then about global citizenship uh, and businesses and communities playing their role in in global citizenship. Can you provide me with some great examples of countries or businesses that you feel have fully or largely embraced the SDGs, whether they're using innovative technologies or positive social engineering or creative nudges or incentives. And how can these provide, in your mind, an inspiration for others to to embrace this notion of global citizenship? Mm, yeah, well, so I should probably say that all UN member states, all 193 states have adopted the SDGs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some are doing better than others. So we are just 
just for interest, where New Zealand is sitting on the global SDG rank is we're number 11. And that sounds, but it's actually not when you realize that no one is on track to achieving the SDGs. Right. Um, So, you know, surprise, surprise, it's another Scandinavian (laughs) success story. So (laughs) Finland, Sweden and Denmark, I think are one, two and three. Right. Um, and I think, you know, you just, you see that and how, and, you know, with the parental leave, right, in Sweden, yeah. like that's, I think it's like they all get, I think um, parental leave is, so, sorry, what am I saying? Um, paternity leave is now seven months. So mm-hmm. both mothers and, and fathers get the same. And that's just a great example of gender equality, SDG5. It's not just about the promotion of, you know, um, women's rights, but it's also about acknowledging, um, you know, the, the space that men have as well. So. Yes. That's an example. Um, there are also six major transitions that have to happen for the SDGs to be achieved. And one of them is around skills, education and jobs. And Germany is actually a shining example of this with its school to work program. So this is something that I just recently found out. But like, I think Germany for more than 100 years has a really extensive but successful apprenticeship program where young people are given like vocational education and often, um, and the idea is that they, you know, basically it's funded by the government for on-the-job training and skill development. Right. So afterwards, you know, um, they gain these really, you know, necessary, valuable skills and um, they come out of it with job opportunities that are, you know, directly linked to the, to the skills that they, they got. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why Germany has such a low unemployment youth rate so i think that's a great example and that connects well with sdg um you know sdg 8 which is decent work and economic growth but then i've also seen other really cool creative examples too so i was lucky enough to go to japan and present beat and proceed in osaka wow. with the outs- yeah it was oh, this is the thing like great yeah great great trip it's just it's, it was amazing japan is incredible but it's it's another reason it's just this ex- insane journey that i've been on with being and proceed and how like doors will open when you mm. you know when you take the leap but anyway i was in japan i met this fellow student and he was just the coolest guy and what he's done is you know how japan buses um they yes. have like you know um bus handles and their circles mm-hmm. like we plastic circles that you hold on to so what they've done is like through guerrilla marketing they have changed all of the bus handles, which are, they still keep them in circles, but they've put the um, SDG logo logo on it. You know, the um, the circle one with all right, the different okay. colors. Yep. Just to, and then obviously um, above the handle is an advertisement that talks about the SDGs to educate people. Yeah. So that's another cool example of how they're spreading awareness. But I definitely think New Zealand could do way better. I mm-hmm. think sustainability is in our dna we've always done it and i would really like to see us um in the top three of the global you know the global sdg rank that's that's my goal that's what i'm working on <laughs> it's a very admirable thing to work on i think absolutely oh, um, well, of, of course on top of that we need to achieve the sdgs <laughs> <laughs> you you work just as a final question you work with a lot of young leaders, you know, our next generation of local um, politicians or business leaders or community leaders, what, what is it about them that gives you the, the confidence to know that despite the global challenges we have and, um, and the sustainable development challenges we have, that we have the right people 
the in the future to take on these challenges you know that they're the next generation understands what those challenges are and has the enthusiasm and the passion to to deliver Chase, it's a good question um i think well i think we've definitely seen it with greta right the the impact that young people have mm. um and and i think we are being listened to and i certainly felt that with um my involvement with the student volunteer army in Christchurch, so it was a massive student movement, mobilised 2,000 students to volunteer and clean up Christchurch after the earthquakes. It was founded by Sam Johnson. Um, and I think that was a great example that students and young people care. So I think it's also about, you know, putting trust into young people as well. Um, but, you know, how we get how we get those young people who, who do genuinely care and they have those... They have the necessary business skills to, to make authentic impact. Mm -hmm. We can't push them to make those, you know, we can't push them. But I think what I can say is um, I wouldn't be here in my position with Community Board and with Beat and Proceed and um, World Economic Forum Global Shapers if I didn't have that, you know, if I didn't have that encouragement from, from mentors and from other people. So I guess it kind of... Like, I'm, I guess I ask the generation above me, like, if you see someone, if you see a young person, you know, that, that, that has that spark, like, please encourage them. Open, yes. open doors for them because yeah. they're going to be too afraid to open that door if they, if they think they can't do it. And I face that all the time with Beat and Proceed. There were so many people that just thought, this is the stupidest idea. My, <laughs> I shouldn't throw my parents on the bus, but mum and dad included. <laughs> like, they put on the like the silliest idea yeah. um, and they were really worried for me but I, I knew but but you know I got I um I took the plunge when I had other people um you know supporting me other leaders that I admire above me who um who said no like you've got to this is a really great idea like I believe in this so yeah. I guess if you want those young people to, to step up the right people to step up then I kind of put that responsibility, yes, on them. They have to put themselves out there, but also on the generation above them in those leadership positions to encourage them to, um, you know, to take the baton, so to speak. Yeah. I, th I think that's a, um, a fantastic way to win the podcast. And you're, and you're absolutely right. It's incumbent upon my generation, because I'm, I'm 50, to, uh, to open those doors and to, to encourage people to... Uh, you know, to believe and aspire to whatever they, they want to achieve, whether it's sustainable development goals or otherwise. And I think too often, perhaps, when you you get a little bit older and you get to a certain position in your career in the community, you you perhaps forget to where you were when you started and to pull the next generation through as well. So I think that's a brilliant way to end the podcast. Thank you. Yes. Oh, my pleasure, Paul. And it comes back to partnerships, right? Like Absolutely. it's in and collaborating together no no one generation has all the answers but mm. if we could just um yeah if we could partner a bit more i think maybe we can achieve the sdgs <laughs> i'm sure we will i'm sure we will kia ora bridget that's been a um it's been a fascinating discussion thank you very much for your time oh my pleasure paul thank you so much for having me no that's cool uh if you'd like to understand a little more about what bridget and her team does please go to beadandproceed.com you can also find out a little bit more about the WEF Global Shapers Initiative by going to globalshapers.org. 
to all of you, as I said at the beginning, who have downloaded and listened to this uh, podcast, the new PL. Thank you once again for taking the time. We've also launched our new website recently, principlesandleadership.com. If you have a moment to visit it, that'd be much appreciated. And just before we go, a quick word from the sponsors of this podcast. Sponsored this week by UK multimedia design and animation studio, Kamuka. Check them out at kamuka.com. That's C-A-M-O-U-K-A.com. If you'd like us to consider a specific topic related to the new PL or interview you, do let us know as well. We'd be very happy to chat. So just to sign off, I'm Paul from the new PL, Principles and Leadership in Business, and thank you once again for listening. <laughs>